going to open up to uh, Romans uh, chapter 6 this morning. And uh, the children are on their way out for um, Children's Church. And again, we just want to encourage you uh, to be in prayer for Bible school this week. I feel like with all this African stuff, I should be like wearing a safari hat or doing a Steve Irwin impression or something like that. But um, uh, just again, obviously, we're having a safari theme, but the focus is on bringing uh, the word of God uh, to children. We're going to be in Romans chapter six this morning, verses 12 through through 14. And we're continuing along in, in Romans. And a, and a lot of this has to do with fighting sin, sanctification, the work of God in us uh, to transform our lives. So let's uh, read the word of God here together this morning. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, uh, under law, but under grace. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to bring praise to you and and honor you and glorify you this morning and ask that you would uh, send your spirit to uh, to use the word of God, that we might hear your word today. As we look at these three verses in Romans, Lord, stir up in us a a desire to resist sin, uh, to put it to death in our lives, to to take it uh, seriously, Lord, even as believers, we still struggle with the indwelling presence of sin, Lord. And so we ask that you, through your spirit, through your work, through your word, uh, would give us uh, victory in these battles, that you would uh, encourage us to continue uh, to fight even when we are facing temptations and our struggles against it. We ask that you would use your word today and give me the words to say to to explain it clearly and we might see how it uh, applies to our lives. Uh, In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know if some of you remember uh, back in the the 80s or so, uh, but when I was a a kid, I remember going uh, and the when you would go to school, you would get these presentations on how to avoid drugs. And the big thing was in the 80s, I think it came out of Nancy Reagan's initiative. It was just say no. You know, so somebody comes up to you on the street. This has never happened to me. Uh, but somebody comes up to you on the street and, hey, you know, you want to try a, try a little of this. Well, the response was you were to, to just say no. You were to, you know, walk away, turn away. But whatever you do, say no. A friend is involved in something like that and they want to offer you something or maybe it's even just a cigarette. You know, we were told the dangers of those and, and the response you were kind of almost just taught to, to say it. And I think even in some of the things you would even practice uh, saying it, you know, just no, I'm not going to do that. Um, we can debate whether or not that that's an effective way uh, to resist drugs or teach kids how to use it. I, I, I don't know. Some research says it's not. Others say it is. But but that's not really the point this morning. We have a much bigger enemy that we need to fight, even as Christians, and that's sin that can crop itself, that that can uh, crop up in our lives. The the temptation to sin as a believer is still present, even though, as we've been saying the last two weeks, we are no longer enslaved to sin. You are still going to face temptations, even as a Christian. 
And sometimes it happens in, in our Christian life, and, and particularly for a new Christian, they, they get so excited at first about uh, coming to the Lord, and they, they feel saved, and they feel just this overwhelming change in their life. And then life gets going again, they get back into a normal routine, sometimes it's weeks later, sometimes it's months later, and some kind of temptation comes up. And, and they, they aren't quite as excited as they first were when they first got saved. And a temptation comes up. And, and sometimes the danger is when a temptation comes up, we, we tend to think, well, gee, I must not be that strong of a Christian if I'm having temptations. Where's God's work? Temptations are something that the Christian will wrestle with. But the exciting thing as a Christian now, as a believer, God has given you the power to resist sin. To, in a sense, just say no. Whereas before, when you were an unbeliever, as the Scriptures have been describing, you are enslaved to sin. You don't have a desire to say no. You delight in, in doing Things that rebel against God. Now, that doesn't mean that every uh, non-believer or non-Christian does every possible sin that's out there. But as a whole, as an unbeliever, we are enslaved to sin and we delight in doing it. But if you are a believer, the Lord has made a change in you. And so the, the focus today is on resisting sin, fighting Sin. Don't let it reign in you. Do not allow sin to be your master. Don't act like it's your master because it's not your master. The Lord Jesus Christ has has bought you with his blood and redeemed you and saved you. And he is your Lord. And so when you face temptations, you need to remember who you belong to. Do not allow sin to be your master. First this morning, do not allow sin to be your master by giving yourself over to it. So do not let sin reign. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let it reign therefore in your mortal body. Now, a couple of things you should notice here. One, we still have a mortal body. When you are a believer, you don't immediately get the resurrection body. That is the future hope. But even now, you have a mortal body. And the fact that your body can die if the Lord doesn't return, the fact that your body will die at some point, again, if the Lord doesn't return first, reminds you that you still have uh, you're still living in a creation that has the effects of sin in it. You are still living in a body that has the effects of sin in it. And so you are, in the one sense, freed from the slavery to sin. God has put the Holy Spirit in you and given you a new heart. Yet, as I've been saying multiple times in the last two weeks, and you're probably going to get tired of me hearing me say this, but it's so crucial you understand this. We're not yet free from the presence of sin. You still are going to face temptations. You're still at times going to have a 
a desire that crops up and you're going to wonder, like, where is this coming from? You still live in a mortal body. You still are a person tainted by, by the presence of sin. So understand you are fundamentally different because you are in Jesus and yet you're not fully as you will be in the new heavens and the new earth when we get the resurrection body. So, uh, when we die, if we die before the Lord's return, the body goes in the grave, the spirit goes into heaven, and we wait for the full resurrection. But the full resurrection where we are in the new heavens and the new earth, there will, there will not be a, a hint or a taint of sin anywhere, whether in you or your body or whether in all creation. God's plan is to extend His his new creation over all the earth, and that will include you. We are kind of at the middle point right now as a believer. We we already have some benefits. We are already in Christ. We already belong to Him. We've already been set free from that slavery. But we're not yet quite there. We don't have everything yet. Namely, we don't have the resurrection. We know Jesus is King. We know He is reigning. But we don't yet see Him physically reigning over all the earth. And so, in the same way, you are liberated from the power of sin. But we're not yet totally free from from the entire presence of sin. So never think that in this life you're, you're going to be so free of sin that you get to some perfect state or some near perfect state you know like well i haven't sinned for the last three months uh, that 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 will lead you to pride and that's a sin that's a lie to say i haven't sinned in the last three months uh, we all do things along the way in our christian walk that are not right but here is the focus don't let sin reign you will face temptations and there may be times where, where in our sinfulness we do give in to those temptations. But the focus here in Paul is do not let sin control you. Don't let it rule over you. If you are struggling with some sin, take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent over it. If you do stumble in sin, don't just throw caution to the wind and say, oh, that's okay. Come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not let the desire to sin be the driving force and the motivation for your life. It is one thing to struggle with sin. It is one thing to fight against it. It is one thing to to feel a temptation and, and feel the heat of battle encroaching on you as you want to resist it. It's quite another thing to say, you know what? I'm just going to throw in the towel and give up. It's, it's like going back to that old master. It's, it's who is your boss in those moments? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ who says resist these things? Or is it that sin which you're suddenly starting to say, oh man, this is appealing. There's just no way I can fight this. But you can. You have the Lord Jesus. And so Paul says that we're not to go around obeying its desires. So do not therefore, do not... Yeah, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Or we could say so that you obey its passions or to obey its passions. What does it look like when I am allowing sin 
even as a believer, to reign. So sin doesn't reign in the believer. But what does it look like when I'm going back to that old master? When I'm letting it be the boss? I'm just giving in. I am just following the passions. I have this desire. I want to do this. And so I just indulge in it. It's, it's that sort of you throw in the towel and let yourself go and say, you know what? I'm just not going to bother fighting it. And sometimes we, we get frustrated with the fight against sin. And we do say to ourselves, well, you know what? I'll just give in this one time. It, it's kind of like for those of us that have ever been on a diet, you know? You, you have that temptation for some chocolate. And so you say to yourself, well, I'm just going to give in one time. No, no big deal. We can do a little cheat. I'll get back on the program. I'll be fine. And so you eat one piece of chocolate. And then you eat another. <laughs> and then you eat another. And then you say, okay, I'll put the chocolate away till t- I'm done now. And then the next day you come in and, oh, that chocolate was so good yesterday. Sin has this kind of cascading effect in our lives. Where when we begin to yield to it, the, the temptations continue to grow. And, and it's kind of like, like feeding a dragon. You can sometimes think, you know, I have this sin under control. It's on a leash. But if I occasionally give it a little bone, if I occasionally give it a little nibble, what, what's a little bit of sin going to hurt? Because I'm forgiven. Well, suddenly that dragon grows and its tail comes around and whacks you and knocks you off your feet. Don't let Sin reign. The way we are to fight sin is to regularly put it to death by going to Jesus, by using the the gifts and abilities that He's given us through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, but put it to death. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. First uh, Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Two things that I want you to notice there. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. Don't do these things. Again, uh, I don't want to be simplistic about fighting sin, but, but just say no. Abstain. Don't, don't do these things. Resist the temptation. Then he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It is part of normal Christian experience to feel like you are in a war against sin. You are in a war to feel that these temptations are are attacking you, that these things that you that you have put to death because you're in Christ, that you say, I am freed from these things. And that is the truth. But to still feel like it is a real enemy that is shooting at you and trying to bring you down and trying to get you back into that lifestyle that you once lived or to engage in those passions and those desires and those things that you know to be wrong. It is a war. But the whole reason you can fight the war, the whole reason that you are in the war in the first place 
is because the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you and redeemed you and called you His child. You belong to Him. And the reason you have any desire to resist sin or feel any conviction over this sin is because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And take that as a a measure of confidence. The whole reason this is bothering you, that this is weighing on you, is an indication that the Holy Spirit is in you. Some of us don't remember our non-Christian life as well as others of us, but when we were non-Christians, we didn't really typically care if we engaged in certain behaviors. And, and if we did care, it was more because of natural human consequences, maybe getting caught or something like that, than it was about offending a holy God. You're different now that you are a believer. The core of who you are has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we say... Uh, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to obey its passions. One of the things I think that can be uh, an illustration just about how much uh, we are changed as believers. You think about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and the promise of the new covenant is that, that I will write my laws within your heart. I will give you a new heart. I will take out the heart of stone, that hardened heart, and I will put in you a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. And you think about the Old Testament, you think about Moses, and how many times did Moses tell the people, circumcise your heart, which which is a way of saying change your heart, which is a way of saying remove that deadness in your heart. Come to God. And over and over again in Israel's life, by and large in her history, what does she do? She walks after idols. She walks down that path and has no desire to to resist sin. And so what does God promise? He promises that something greater would come in the work of Jesus Christ. And in that new covenant, He would give His people the power and the ability to resist sin. He would put the Holy Spirit within us. You can resist and fight sin and temptation. I'm not saying that it's easy. It's it's not easy. And it's not something that we do in and of our own strength. But it is something that through the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in faithfulness to Him that we can actually do. And so Paul says in verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Members here has the idea probably maybe referring to specific body parts and and saying, you know, don't use them for sin, like your arms, your legs, uh, your tongue. But I think members here also includes more than just the physical parts of you. Just any aspect of who you are. Don't use it for sin. If God has given you some talent, if God has given you some ability... Uh, if he's made you very smart, if he's made you very fast, if he's made you very good looking, uh, if he hasn't made you very good looking, whatever you have, do not use it for sin. And you almost get imagery of, of taking some sort of thing that you have and presenting it out there, like almost literally like, okay, here, use this for unrighteousness. Let's go and do this. It, 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 this presentation of it 
aspect. I think it's just a powerful imagery. Don't sit there and say, okay, let's go all in. We'll sin. Don't use it for unrighteousness. Don't let sin reign in you. What does it look like when sin is reigning in you? You are doing it. It's a habit. It's regular. You're handing yourself over to it. You're presenting things that you have and using them in ways that are inappropriate before God. A couple of applications as you think about how to fight sin. First, remember your motivation to do these things. I think that's where it starts when it comes to to fighting sin. You're not going to be able ultimately to fight sin by just making a bunch of rules. Okay, I won't do this, I won't do that, I won't do this, I won't do that. It starts with knowing who you are in Jesus and recognizing the change that He has brought about in you. Your old self has been crucified in Christ. So Romans uh, chapter uh, 6, if you look at verse uh, 5 and 6, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self has been crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. So, the old self has been put to death. And I I don't want to get too graphic or or disgusting here, but but sometimes when, when living beings die... There are still, you know, muscle twitches and things that go on with their body. I mean, think of this thing. It's running around like a chicken with its head cut off, right? The chicken is dead, but it is still running around. We would not look at that chicken and say it's still alive, but we know there's just vestiges of that in it, just kind of muscle twitches, if you will. Your old self, who you were in your sinful estate, enslaved to sin, your old self is crucified. You are a new creation. But why do I struggle with sin? You still live in a body tainted by sin. It is still the vestiges of sin, if we can say this, that are twitching around. Sin is put to death, but it is still present. It's that already not yet aspect again. So don't think of yourself as sinning your chicken with your head cut off running around. Uh, But do think of it in the sense of God has made you a new creation and he delights and desires when you don't yield to these things that you were once alive in. You're dead to sin now. Remember who you are. And and I, I think it starts with that because that gives you an actual motivation. Like I could sit up here until I'm blue in the face and say, don't do this. Don't do this. Stop this. But I don't have any power to tell you to stop it. There's nothing unique about my words. But there is something unique about what God has done in you through the cross of Christ. Not only are you forgiven, not only are the legal aspects of sin removed, that you have no guilt over you at all anymore, But there is a transformation aspect that has begun in you. And it has genuinely begun. Second, then, present yourself to your new master. 
not the old one. And we'll get into this as we unfold the verses, but just in terms of thinking about how you fight sin. You're regularly and continually coming back before God and acknowledging that you belong to Him. That we don't do certain things because we are His children. That we don't act in such certain ways with our body because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of worship. And you think about how quite literally in the Old Testament temple, they would take the sacrifice in there and they would physically present it to God. There's a spiritual sense where we present ourselves to God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. What is the goal of our salvation? To be presented to God in Christ holy and blameless and above reproach. Paul then makes the focus of his ministry. Colossians 1.22, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do not go on before sinning as if to say, you know, I want to do this or I'm going to give in to this, but, but rather we go before God in Christ. We belong to Him. And one of the ways we, we fight sin and temptation is we need to stay in regular communion with God. What do I mean by that? I mean prayer, reading the Word of God, maybe even singing to ourselves or or regularly gathering for worship so that we're encouraged with believers. But we need to have regular fellowship with God. Communion with Him. Spending time in prayer before Him. Regularly reminding ourselves that we submit ourselves to God and and confessing those things as true, even when we're struggling, saying, Lord Jesus, I belong to You. You have saved me. Help me now. To fight this sin. It is really, really hard. I, I want to say impossible. To be in real communion with God. To be spending real time in prayer with God. And at the same time, sinning. Most people that are engaging in some sort of regular habitual sin are not spending time in regular Habitual prayer. Sometimes people aren't gathering regularly for worship. Sometimes they're not reading their Bibles. But God has given us the tools to fight sin. And the last way we fight sin is we just flee from it. Like sometimes we literally have to walk away from something. We have to give something up. Turn a computer off, maybe. You think of the example of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife put the moves on Joseph. She hit on him. She tried to seduce him. 
And what does Joseph do? I mean, the seduction got so bad, he was generally not in her vicinity. And one time he happens to be in the house, and she happens to be in the house, and there are no servants in the house. This has happened a number of times, apparently, and Joseph was already taking precautions, but he almost accidentally finds himself alone, and she grabs his cloak. I mean, how intent is she on seducing him if she physically tries to detain him? She is literally throwing herself upon him. And any person in that situation, I want to say any man, but I'm sure it could happen the reverse, uh, but any person in that situation would feel, I'm sure, some inkling of temptation. And Joseph just drops his coat and runs. He doesn't try to talk her down. He doesn't try to dissuade her. He doesn't try to get into a, a reasoned argument about why this is not right because he knows that she is just so dead set on doing this. And so he gets out of there. And sometimes I think when we face temptations, we try to reason with our temptations. Well, I'll just go here. I'll just hang out here. I'm not going to do what those other people are doing. But I don't have to, to be super strict. I don't have to be legalistic, we might tell ourselves. But there are times where you just have to flee. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And Paul is writing this to a, to a, a people in Corinth where there are idol temples all around them. I don't think he meant get out of the city. Although maybe if that was the temptation was strong enough, you, you should do that. But there were, I'm sure, other ways that they could flee where they're not physically around it or physically associated with it. Get it out. Push it away. And this, too, is how we need to fight sin and not let it reign over us. Second, this morning, do not allow sin to be your master, but give yourself to God in righteousness. So there's this kind of don't do this, but then do this. So verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourself to God. And then he says, as those who have been brought from death to life. So here's the positive. We present ourselves to God. We belong to God already as his children, but there is this sense where we fight sin by, by actively coming before God. And so again, Romans 12.1, that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, if I could illustrate this this way, presenting ourselves to God. Um, I don't know what types of jobs you all work in and how it works in your job, but I remember working uh, as a um, lawn care person for a golf course. And every morning you would check in. You would, you would use, we had, elect, well, some places we had like time card punches, and then they, they eventually swapped it out for like cards where you swipe it like a credit card. 
So you, you check in that morning. And then, in a, in, a, in a sense, we would have to go to the boss and say, okay, what do you want me to do today? And he would have lists of assignments. You know, you're going to mow the greens, you're going to mow the teas, you're going to pick the weeds, you're going to weed whack, whatever. Because he have a list of kind of rotation of some things you had to do every day and some things you had to do weekly or, or every other day. But the point is this, you checked in, you clocked in, and then you would present yourself to the boss. You would say, what do you have me to do? And, and in a sense, we would offer up our bodies to say, what, what do you want us to mow today? We need to present ourselves to God. You're my boss. You're my master. You're the Lord. What would you have me do? How do I use what you've given me for your sake? How do I obey you? Maybe this is something that you will need to do every morning. You spend a little time in the Word or prayer. Uh, Maybe you just work it into your regular day. Maybe you just have to remind yourself these things. However you do it, it is that idea of present yourself to Him because you belong to Him. And He even says, present yourself as those who have been brought from death to life. You have been brought from death to life. Notice here what Paul is doing. He grounds what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. He grounds it in who we are. We are to walk in newness of life. Why? Because you have new life. We are to put sin to death regularly. Why? Because you have crucified sin in Christ. You are in union with Him. You are already this positionally. Now act this way in your habits regularly. In in other words, the idea is be who you are. As a Christian, you are one who belongs to Jesus. You are one where sin is not your master. You are the one where Jesus is your Lord and you have confessed His name. You have believed in Him. You have trusted in Him. You are a member of the family of God adopted into it. Now, act that way. Live that way. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And the Scriptures never say it's going to be easy. In the book of Hebrews, uh, it tells us that they had not yet resisted sin unto death. I don't think any of us have ever been in a situation, and if I'm wrong, you're welcome to correct me later, but I don't think any of us have ever been in a situation where we literally had a choice, either sin and do this, or die. There are Christians around the world that have faced that choice. That guns are put to their head and they're told either deny Christ or die. Give in and do some sort of awful, horrible act or die. We, in some ways in America, don't really know what it's like to resist sin like they have to in some places around the world. I'm just saying that to say, kind of put put it in perspective a little bit. If you have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who can fight sin in that way, how much more do you think that we can fight sin 
and the temptations in our life. If God has given them the power to do those things, don't you think that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear and will provide a way out? It may not be easy, but God is with us. Be who you are. We present ourselves as those who have moved from being dead to sin, where where Paul describes us as walking in the passions which once reigned in us, and we were dead in that, and we couldn't get out of that. We have moved from that death to that life. And if you have life in you, walk in the newness of life, as Paul has said. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Where were, yeah, all of the, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Romans 6, 9 through 11. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead, uh, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. The imagery here is of our union with Christ and we can actually walk and we are expected to walk in the newness of life because this is who we are. Does the gospel bring a change? Absolutely. Now, for some of us, we still struggle with various sins and sometimes it's a slow process, sometimes it's a long process, sometimes in some Sins, we have victory almost right away. But there is a progression of walking in newness of life. Why? Because you have been moved from death to life. When you fight sin, remember who you are. I used the example last week of being in the military. And when you're in the military, you wear a uniform. It tells you whose team you're on, which side of the fight you're on. Remember whose uniform you are wearing. You are united to Christ. You have put on Christ, as the Scriptures say, and He has implanted the Holy Spirit in you. Therefore, be an instrument for righteousness. So he says, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness. There are two aspects to righteousness in the Scriptures. Two kinds, if you will, as Paul's been talking in Romans. One kind of righteousness is that verdict that we have. We talked about justification, right? You are declared righteous when you get saved. In other words, you have the forgiveness of sins. It is over you. It's complete. It's full. You will never be more saved later on than you are when you first get saved. Why? Because God declares you righteous. You have everything that you need to stand before God. It says in the Scriptures, God declares the ungodly righteous when they trust in Jesus Christ. The second kind of righteousness, or the second aspect of righteousness, is there is a pattern of righteous behavior that God will continue to form in you. 
And that will and should and even must grow over time as a Christian. It's the example of the fruit of the Spirit. When you get saved, you have the Spirit. And you always have the Spirit. But over time, habits begin to change. You begin to have more love, more kindness, more compassion. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit grows. You have the verdict of justification. But now, present your body, your whole self, as an instrument to to do things that are good, to do things that are acts of righteousness, so that we would look more like Jesus as we are conformed to His image. Last, this morning, do not allow sin to be your master because it is not your master. For verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. This is future tense here. Sin will will have no dominion over you, but I think Paul is speaking of this as the the present reality of the believer. Sin won't have a dominion over you. Sin is not your master. Don't let it reign because it's not the Lord. And this word here for dominion over you is literally just a verb form of the Greek word Lord. Kurios. Don't let sin lord over you. I think there's an obvious parallel here. Why not? What did you confess when you got saved? Jesus is what? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. What did you confess when you got saved? Jesus is what? Yeah. So don't let sin be the Lord over you. Don't let it have dominion over you. It doesn't. You've moved from one slavery into being now, a, as Paul will say, and we'll get into this next week, we're, we're actually a slave to God. And he doesn't mean that in a demeaning way, but, but we go from being servants to sin, enslaved, to being set free, to being in the house of God and belonging to God. You move from one lordship to another. You move from one master to another. Don't let the old master dictate things to you. If you left one job and went to another job and your old boss called you up and said, hey, uh, I need you in this morning to work at 5 a.m. And uh, remember that job you used to do? I I need you to do that again. And uh, we're going to work you uh, 70 hours this week. And what would you say? You'd click. You're not my boss anymore. You would hang up on him. In the same way, when the, the temptation of sin arises, that, hey, don't you want to do this? Don't you remember how much you, you enjoyed this? Flee sin. It's not your boss anymore. Don't act like it is. We all stumble in sin. And when you stumble, repent. Take it right back to God. Confess it. Deal with it. Take it seriously. But remember, even as you do that, sin isn't your master. Because of Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, you will win and overcome sin in the end. You may have struggles. You will have struggles in the Christian life. And it's kind of like in war. Sometimes in war, 
You don't want to lose a battle, but you do lose a battle. It doesn't mean the war is over. We know who's won the war. Don't give up in fighting the battle. There's this phrase here at the end, since you are not under law, but under grace. I don't really have the time to explain this as fully as I think we could, but I want to say just a couple quick things. One, I don't think Paul, I know Paul is not denying that there was grace in the Old Testament. But the scriptures do draw a contrast between the law as the Old Covenant that gave rules and said, do this and you will live, don't do this or you will die, and grace. And one of the things that Paul points out is the law fails to liberate us from sin. Commands don't free us. Now, the whole Old Testament, as there was faith in the Old Testament, they looked forward to Christ. I mean, my goodness, Abraham is the prime example of someone who's saved by grace alone through faith alone. And it is throughout the Old Testament. But the whole point of the law is the law tells us what's wrong. But the law doesn't fight sin in the inward man. It's just like your kids. I use this example all the time. You tell your kids, you make a rule, don't go in the cookie jar. And they go, there's a cookie jar? (laughs) That's what sin and the law are like. We hear the command, don't do this, and we go, "Uh, I could do that? Really? I had not thought of that. That's why we need the law written on our hearts through the Spirit. And that's what Paul has in mind about not being under the law, but under grace. He's not saying throw out your Old Testament. He's not saying don't read the Bible. He still says the law is good. It's from God, my goodness. But we live and walk in grace. And really as he talks about grace, he's he's focusing on how Grace in Christ is the culmination of all of those Old Testament things. He's, he's really making kind of a, a, a re, what we call redemptive history, salvation history argument here. That everything that they looked forward to in the Old Testament, that they, as they would have faith, we've now seen fulfilled. We get to live what they were looking forward to. They had salvation, but they were looking to what it would be like when Jesus came. We live in grace in the sense that we have seen the Lord Jesus Christ come. We experience the same salvation as the Old Testament saints, but we do experience it at a different time in the plan and purpose of God. And so Paul can say, you're not under grace. And I think by implication here, you don't fight sin by making a bunch of rules by simply going back to the law. Now, sometimes we need the law so we would say, I have to know this is wrong. And the Holy Spirit will write that law in your heart so that you you feel that it's wrong. You don't just hear that it's wrong. But we live and walk as those who are in union with Christ in a state of grace. And that's why we have the power to fight sin. Not because we have the law, but because we have the law written on our hearts. 
Not because we see the condemnation that sin brings, but because we see in Christ we've been set free from the condemnation. We have been moved from death to life. And that's why you fight sin. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you for your goodness, for your kindness, uh, for your love. Oh, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, that you would continue to work in our lives, that we would just see who we are in Christ. Maybe some of us, Lord, need to just rejoice today that we are a new creation. Maybe we have in a rough spot and we just don't feel like we're a new creation, but we need to know who we are. Maybe some of us need to be encouraged, Lord, and we ask that you would do that. Just encourage us in our fight against sin. Maybe some of us need to, to get back up on the horse, so to speak, and, and, and get back in the war because we've kind of been being lazy and giving in to certain sins and habits. Lord, give us that courage. Give us that motivation. Let us not present our bodies, our whole selves, as instruments of unrighteousness. But may we present ourselves to you as those who bear your name in the name of your son. May we offer our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Give us the ability to do that. Give us the power to do that. And and give us the motivation through your Holy Spirit to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.